Thanks for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Thank you, Barney. It's good to be with you this morning, uh, wherever you are, uh, whatever time of day it is. Greetings in the name of Jesus. My privilege to share with you the word of God this morning, a word that speaks uh, to all generations across all nations and cultures, a word that's able to save and sustain us in the, most, in the midst of the most trying uh, situations. And we surely are in one of those at this moment in time with the coronavirus uh, pandemic. We're continuing this morning in the series that Barney kicked off with last week in looking at the book of Psalms. The Psalms are a delightful book, possibly more than any other portion in the Bible. They have been a great life resource for many, many people over thousands of years across the continents in all sorts of environments, providing encouragement and hope in the ups and downs of everyday life. In them, we discover how people lived out their lives with God. Martin Luther, the great reformer, referred to them as the Bible in miniature, and that is surely what they are. As such, they can help us today in all that we are facing, especially with the coronavirus pandemic, with all the concerns that we might have, not only for our own health and welfare, but also for that of others, family, friends, colleagues, those with underlying health issues, the vulnerable, the seniors, etc. The Psalms are loaded with the realities and very rawness of life. They, they don't mince their words. They tell it like it is. And as such, they're loaded with all of life's emotions. And in them, we can find joy and peace. We find pain and anxiety, depression, anger, and sorrow, etc. And so there are Psalms of rejoicing. There are Psalms of sorrow. There are Psalms of lament. There are Psalms of confession and repentance. And there are even psalms of complaint. Yes, complaint, where the psalmist complains to God. He says, I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him in Psalm 142, verse 2. And then he also says, nobody cares for my soul. There were times when he felt like that. There are psalms then where the presence of God is is very real. It's almost tangible. And there are others where he seems far away. There are some that rejoice in what God is doing and others where the psalmist is not so sure where God is and what he's up to. There are psalms of delightful wonder and others that plumb the, the very dark depths of human experience. And so they can speak to us in all, all the realms and aspects of life. People wrote and crafted the Psalms out of their experience of life with God in the world in which they found themselves. And in turn, they're able to shape and craft our lives as we read and reflect on them. As we enter them, they can also help us in lifting our hearts and voices to God in praise and in prayer. I remember as a young Christian uh, learning how to pray or not knowing how to pray and wondering how to pray and going through some difficult circumstances in life and I didn't know how to express myself to God. I, I didn't know how I could come to him and, as it were, to tell him my complaint and I would search the Psalms and I would find a Psalm that 
kind of said it like I felt it was. And, and I would begin to read that psalm. And through that psalm, I would begin to pray out my emotion, my feelings, my, my troubles to God. And so we can find them assisting us in our own praises and in our own prayers. Maybe that's you this morning. You don't know how to express yourself. Can I encourage you to go to the book of Psalms, search through that book and find something that finds you where it's at and use that to pray out your heart to God. This morning we're going to look for a short while at Psalm 23, probably the most well-known of all the Psalms, known to Christians and non-Christians alike. And even if you don't know it, you've probably heard of it, you've You've been to a wedding, you've been to a funeral, and you've heard it read. And that tells us something about the sheer breadth of this particular psalm. It is indeed a psalm that is loaded. Let's just take a moment, shall we, to read it together. If you don't have a Bible, you can find one in the tabs on the sidebar on the right-hand side of your screen. And as we read together... So may I encourage you to open your heart to God, to open the windows of your soul and let the light of God's word come in. And as we read through this particular psalm, there may be one particular verse that strikes you at this moment in time. And I would ask you perhaps to go back and linger on that verse and let God speak to you through it. So let's just read together Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup, it overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a psalm. And in this psalm, David, the renowned king of Israel, a man who grew up caring for his father's sheep around the hills of Bethlehem, talks about his relationship with God in these terms, uh, that of a shepherd and his sheep. A familiar image in those days, but perhaps not to us today. There are, in the Bible, over 700 references to, to sheep to shepherds, to flocks. And it uses the word sheep to refer to God's people over 200 times. Sheep in those days were valuable animals, providing food and milk and clothing. Their horns were valuable and could be used as trumpets or made into vessels that could hold oil or wine. And of course, in those days, sheep were used for sacrifice. A reminder that God was holy and humanity had sinned and was cut off from God and sin needed to be atoned for. Praise God that today we no longer need to offer such sacrifices as Jesus, the Lamb of God, came and gave his life as an atonement for our sins 
And through him, we may come today with boldness before the living God, the most holy God. The shepherd knew his sheep. He could differentiate between one sheep and another. And shepherds in those days frequently had names for their sheep. They weren't numbers just simply stamped onto them. They knew them by name. And the, shepherd also, and the sheep knew also their shepherd. They recognized him as a person. And they recognized and responded to his voice. The shepherd would go out of his way to care for the sheep. He would risk his life in caring for them. And yes, even for the wayward ones. A well-known picture in church history is the one of the shepherd carrying the lost or sick sheep on his shoulders back home to safety. Before I go any further, it may be a good idea to dispel a popular myth regarding sheep. And that's that sheep are stupid, dirty, and defenseless. Something which actually is just not true. Back in 2009, Animal Welfare published a report that found that sheep are capable of experiencing a whole range of feelings, from fear to anger, despair, boredom, and happiness. Whoever thought that sheep may feel in that particular way, but they do. If you live in the country or you have driven in the country in the, the springtime, you have no doubt seen the lambs out in the fields enjoying one another's company, enjoying life, uh, running along and dancing and jumping up and down together, full of the joys of spring, full of the joys of life. Sheep are actually very, are actually surprisingly intelligent. They have an impressive memory and they have impressive recognition skills. They're able to build friendships, stick up for one another in fights and feel sad when their friends are sent to slaughter. Sheep are then intelligent, they're complex and they are sociable. Here's a piece of trivia for you, one for uh, those competitions. Did you know this, that sheep have slit eyes so that they can see behind them without having to turn their heads? What a good idea. What an advantage. But anyone who knows anything about sheep will know that at times they can behave in foolish and stupid ways. I grew up on a farm in the country and my father had sheep and um, and uh, they, they, they were fascinating creatures, lovable creatures. But they, they would have their own way at times. And uh, sometimes they would look over uh, from the field they were in to the field next door. And as they looked out over the hedge or, or through the fence, uh, uh, somehow or other, it was more appealing to them. The grass looked greener on the other side. And, and one of them would go wandering up and down the hedgerow or the fence line. And they would be looking for the the kind of the weakest link. And uh, when they found one, they would just nudge their faces into it and push and push until eventually they had found their way through. It wasn't long before those remaining in the field would look and see one of their friends out in the field next door and think he was onto something better. And very soon they were finding their way, their way, their way through the gap in the fence or the hedge. So it's not surprising that the Bible likens humanity to sheep. Number one, like sheep in those times, life is valuable. Every life has value. Your life has value. The life of your family has value. 
Your friends has value. Each of us was created by God and in the image of God and for God. We are not a number. You are not a number. God knows your name. God cares for you. In fact, his love led him to take on human form and die upon a Roman cross in order to reconcile you to himself, to reconcile us to himself. And secondly, like sheep, we can behave in foolish ways. The Bible says that every one of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've done foolish and stupid things. We've all sinned and we suffer the consequences and we all need saving, rescuing. We need to be picked up and carried back home. When we think of David and the Psalms, it's very easy to think of his fortress language, his bold declarations of faith, his bold, confident declarations of faith. You are my rock. You are my fortress. You are my deliverer. In you will I trust. A kind of defiant fighting language. And there is a place for that. But not here in Psalm 23. The tone is altogether different. Here we find a language of relationship and love and intimacy. David had learned throughout his life to trust God in every season. He knew what it was to hide away in caves for fear. He knew what it was to trust God in the great battles and to experience great victories, moments of great high. He knew what it was to lose people close to him, loved ones and close friends. He knew what it was to reign as king and have an abundance. But he also knew what it was to be hunted down and in need and for his life to be under threat every day. He knew what it was to plumb the depths of discouragement. He knew what it was to feel that evil was awful and, and it undercut God's loving purpose for the world and he longed for God's justice. He knew what it was to wonder where God was in life and what he was doing at times. I wonder this morning, if we just pause here for a moment, what you're feeling in the midst of all that is going on. Maybe you have lost someone. Maybe you have received an unwanted diagnosis. Maybe you're fearful. Perhaps you have an underlying health condition. And maybe you're wondering how you're going to manage. You're worried about loved ones. Or it may be that you're just wondering, God, where are you in it all? Maybe fortress language is not for you at this moment in time. Maybe you need to find the language of relationship, of rest and intimacy with God. And I want to encourage you to draw near, even as I'm speaking, to bring your worries and your concerns to him because God loves you and he cares for you. He loves this world and he cares for this world. He entered into its brokenness in Jesus and experienced its pain in him. David knew God as his loving shepherd, the one who cared for him in every season of life. So let's just read it again and make some comments. He says, The Lord is my shepherd. 
Notice he uses God's personal name. Maybe it's hidden from us because it's in capitals there, Lord. It's a reference to Yahweh or Jehovah. It's God's personal name. We only give our personal name to those that we love, to those that we know, to those that we want to get to know more personally. And God has given us his name in order that we may know him. And David knew his name and he had a personal relationship with God. David knew the eternal God, the creator, as his shepherd, one who loved and cared for him. He conversed with him. He sang to him. He delighted in him. And then he says, I shall not want. David had discovered that when all was said and done, he had discovered that knowing the everlasting, the creator, the sustainer God as his shepherd was in fact everything that he needed that he sustained him in every season and circumstance of life. Today, we live as if everything depends on us, as if we are the ones who are in control, as if we are the ones who are the masters of our own destiny. And it's disturbing when we find out that we're not, when suddenly uh, we, we face a pandemic and things seem to be beyond our control. Someone has said, you don't realize Jesus is all that you need until Jesus is all that you have. There have been many down through history who've proven time and time again in the face of the most difficult and trying circumstances that actually God is all that we need. And David had discovered that the Lord was indeed truly his shepherd and all that he needed was found in knowing him. And then he says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Or another version puts it, he lets me lie down. That's a place of rest. The enemy loves to harry us, to chase us, to chivy us. This way, that way, and the other. But not so the good shepherd. The eastern shepherd was one who would lead his sheep. Western shepherds tend to drive their sheep. We, we have shepherds and we have the sheepdog and we, we drive them, we call them along and we, we have those particular phrases and I can remember my father and my father-in-law calling out to the sheep, chiving them along. But the eastern shepherd didn't do it that way. He led his sheep. He didn't harry them. It's his joy to lead us into such places, into rich pastures, into those pastures where we can just Relax and be refreshed and renewed. I don't know whether you've ever been into the country and watched the sheep sitting there and chewing the cud. Uh, It sounds strange to many people, but the sheep's stomach has four parts to it. The rumen, reticulum, uh, omasum, and abosmasum. And and the sheep, they eat quickly. They graze quickly as they're going round. And as, as they graze quickly, they do not eat their food properly. Uh, And so it goes down into the stomach. And then later they will sit down and the food will come up and they will chew over it. Sounds perhaps a bit gross to us. But actually there's something that we can learn from that because so often a lot of our life is taken in bits and pieces here and there and elsewhere and, and we don't actually chew the cud. And so there's a place actually to just stop and be at rest in those pastures and to feed and to chew on the word of God and let it feed our souls and truly nourish our bodies. Maybe you're feeling harried, harassed this morning, this afternoon, this evening, whatever time of day you happen to be watching. And perhaps you just need to take time out, to take 
the space that's available just to lie down in those green pastures, to feed on the word of God and let it nourish your soul. And then it says, he leads me by still waters. The shepherd finds a place of refreshment for the sheep. Elsewhere, the psalmist spoke of a river that would make glad the people of God in the most difficult and uncertain of times. And you and I can know that today in the times that we are living in. We can know the blessing of that river, the refreshment and the renewal that it can bring to us. Jesus said, if you're thirsty, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So he leads me by still waters, place of refreshment. And then he restores my soul. It's a place of healing for the whole person, body, soul, and spirit. And maybe that's what you need at this moment in time, the restoring of your soul, your whole person. Maybe it's a troubled mind. Maybe it's, it's, it's physically. Whatever it is, you can come and be restored and be renewed. There's healing, there's restoration, there's renewal. And then he leads me in the paths of righteousness. He's well able to direct us in the right paths, to give us the wisdom that we need and enable us to do what is right. That's the guidance. Maybe that's where you're at uh, this morning, this afternoon, this evening. Maybe you need a word from God and he's able to release that to you. He's able to speak into your life and direct you in the right paths. And then he says it's for his name's sake. That tells us it's all about purpose. This is a purpose. That's a, that's a big life question today. What is, what is my purpose? Why am I here? What's it all about? Who am I? We were made by God and for his glory. The Westminster Catechism asks this question. What is the chief end of man? And it answers it like this. It is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We were made by God for his glory. And it's only in, in knowing him and being satisfied in him that we will find answers to the question of purpose. It is for his namesake. It is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Or as John Piper puts it, it's to glorify God by enjoying him now and forever. What we enjoy, we glorify. Those who support their foot, football team, that when they enjoy it, they glorify it. So when we enjoy God, we glorify him. And then he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yeah, there are times when we must go through dark valleys. Times when we don't know quite where we're going, what's happening. The shepherd in leading his, his sheep from one pasture to another sometimes would have to lead them through uh, that dark valley, the valley of the shadow of death, through ravines, places where danger lurked, where predators lived, where there were potential rockfalls and the possibility of losing your footing with the possibility of death staring them in the face every step of the way. They were testing times and David had these. He had been there. But he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Wow. Why? Because he knew God was his shepherd and he could trust him. And so it says there in that next part, for you are with me. There it is. It's God's presence with him through that valley of the shadow of death. God was with him. And Jesus has said he would never leave us or forsake us. 
He said before he went away, he said, I'm, I'm not going to leave you on your own. I'm going to send one just like me to be with you, to abide with you until the end of the age. And that one was the promised Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. God is with you. God is with us. Whatever situation we find ourselves at this time. And then he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The sheep couldn't always see where the shepherd was as they went through that dark valley. But they could hear him as he tapped on the ground with his staff. They could hear him. And maybe that's you at this moment in time. You're going through that dark valley. You can't see the shepherd. You can't necessarily feel the shepherd. But listen for the tapping of his staff upon the ground and know that he is there and he is leading the way. He is there loving and caring for the sheep. And then we get a change of emphasis. And, it's, and here it's about preparing us. It's about equipping and empowering us. And suddenly we get this turn of events and we read here, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. How many of us actually want to sit down and eat in the presence of our enemies? But David says, this is what God does. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. A place to be, to, to be fed, a place to feast, a place to sustain us. And then he says, you anoint my head with oil. This speaks of the anointing oil that we so often read about in the Old Testament, which was about empowering for service. And through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we are given strength. We are given vibrancy and confidence to, to go forward and defeat our enemies. Whatever you are facing, God wants to anoint you so that you can rise up and go forward and take the ground. So that you can live and so that you can live to his glory and praise. And then he says, my cup runs over. That's an abundance. God doesn't give in half measures. He gives it to us in abundance. So the psalmist says, my cup runs over. And so may your cup run over, even in the midst of our enemies. And then he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Mercy here is from the Hebrew word hesed. And it refers to the, the pursuing nature of God's love, a, a love that never quits. Oh, I am so glad that the God that we believe in, the God that the Bible uh, speaks about, is a God of, of love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who have been from all eternity. And God has demonstrated that love to us in Jesus. And, and through the Holy Spirit today, pursues us with his love. Maybe you have not encountered it. And even now as we're talking, as we're sharing, as we've been worshipping and sharing in the Word, You've heard something of this God and of the, the love that he has for you and how he wants to draw you to himself and he, he is pursuing you this morning. Scripture says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And then he says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's an assurance there. This is not just about time, it's about eternity. Eternity is written into the human heart, into our psyche. It's, we want to know what's out there. We want to know what's beyond the end of this life. And In Scripture, we discover uh, that, there is, that, that we can know the Lord and we can live forever in his presence. And so there's security. David knows that security. 
for you this morning, this afternoon, this evening, whatever time of day you happen to be watching this. So what a wonderful psalm this is. A psalm of great encouragement, a psalm of great enrichment, a psalm that refreshes and renews our souls. And as we come to an end, we're going to pray together. I'd like to invite you to join me in praying. Our Father, we do honour and praise your wonderful name. You are the one in whom we live and move and have our being. The one who gives us gives meaning and purpose to our lives. You are the one, O oh God, who is the commander of our destinies. Lord, our confidence is in you this morning. Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, we, we thank you for showing that God is love by taking on human flesh. For living here, entering into our very sphere of life with all of its trials and temptations. And yet never giving in to temptation, yet never giving in to the enemy. And then giving your life for us in order that we might be reconciled to God. Holy Spirit, our comforter and strengthener, come and help us at this time of great need in loving and caring for those around us who are worried and fearful sick, or in need. Oh God, we pray for healing for those who are sick. We ask for provision for those who are in need. May there be enough to go round. We pray for grace and wisdom and understanding in all of our caring. We ask too that you would give wisdom to those in government and those who work in the health services for right and effective decisions and treatment. We pray for the supply of equipment that is needed. And Father, we pray have mercy upon our land and indeed upon the nations. Turn our hearts to you, the giver of life. Come and heal, we pray. Bring an end to this coronavirus pandemic, we ask. And so, Father, we seek your blessing. We pray that each one may know the grace and peace which only you can give through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in his name we pray. Amen.